right, all right, all right, all right. You are awesome. We're so glad you're in worship today. Uh, whichever campus you've chosen uh, to worship the Lord, we're so glad you're a part of grace and that you've chosen to make this a priority. Hey, I want to begin with a show of hands today. I'm going to do a little survey, and I'd love your participation. There's going to be three categories, and I'm going to try to get a sense of how you would rate the conflict in your marriage or if you're in a good friendship or perhaps a romantic friendship. Uh, any of those will work. And I wonder how much conflict there is. Now, it's a scale of 1 to 10. 10, if you score yourself a 10, man, that means you fight like cats and dogs, okay? There's just a lot of conflict, a lot of tension there, and you're just being honest about it. If you score yourself a 1, that means that you're on tranquilizers most of the time. That means, no, 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 no. That means that honestly you get along incredibly well. It's highly unusual to be a one. Most of us have more conflict than that, but you would be really unusual if you scored yourself a one. Okay, you get the idea? 10 is the most, one is the less. And we're gonna do three categories. We're gonna do one to three. We're gonna do four to seven. That's gonna be a pretty big category, I think. And then we're gonna do eight to 10. Okay, so we're going to see a show of hands at all of our locations. If in your marriage or a significant romantic relationship or a good friendship, you're ranking and rating the level of conflict. How many of you would score yourself kind of low conflict? Just raise your hand up loud and proud. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a lot of hands. Kind of one to three zone right there. Okay, very good. All right, now I think this is going to be a big one. How many of you... As you look honestly at your marriage, relationships, you would rank this probably in that zone, that middle zone of 4 to 7% conflict. Okay, yeah, all right, I got you, I got you. Okay, thank you. And we're not going to actually score the last one because I'm afraid a fight will break out, okay? <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, we're just going to be honest here. It's a place of authenticity and genuineness. How many of you would say, you know what, uh, honestly, just being real about it, it's probably been somewhere in that 8 to 10 range. Can I see your hands? Okay, yeah, I see a few hands there. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I think I would score Deb and myself somewhere in that 4 to 7 zone. We're both kind of pretty intense, pretty opinionated, pretty driven people in a lot of ways. And you know what, uh, if we got alarmed every time we have a disagreement, I think we would live panic-stricken lives, to be honest. But by God's grace, we have learned and are continuing to learn how to manage conflict, how to work through it. So whatever your level of conflict, I'm so glad that you're here today for this discussion based on God's word. Gary Thomas, in his book, Sacred Marriage, suggests the absence of conflict may demonstrate that either the relationship isn't important enough to fight over or that both individuals are too insecure, perhaps, to risk disagreement. Now, the truth is, a lot of people bring conflict on themselves just because of stupid decisions, just dumb choices. I heard about a uh, a, a gentleman who was watching football on Sunday afternoon, as he normally did, and his wife, out of the blue, came over and just kind of bopped him on the head with a rolled-up magazine. 
You see, she had been doing some laundry, and in a pocket, she found a little piece of paper with a number on it. And she confronted him and said, what is this? He said, oh, honey, don't be alarmed. You know that recently I went to the track, and that's the number I played for the trifecta. And that seemed to satisfy. But a week later, once again, he was watching football on Sunday afternoon when his wife came over and whacked him on the head with a frying pan. He fell off into the floor. He was dazed, tried to stand up, dizzy, seeing stars. He said, what was that for? She said, your horse called, wondering if she could speak to you. <laughs> now, <laughs> some people, some people bring conflict on themselves through some pretty dumb choices. But trust me today, all relationships are going to have some level of conflict. Conflict is not the enemy. Conflict is not the enemy. It's only when we manage conflict poorly that it becomes destructive and what we could call an enemy of the relationship. The truth is, most conflict is not managed very wisely. I'd recommend to you Drs. John and Julie Gottman, if you want to read some great material on this. They are the world's leading experts on factors that lead to divorce. Uh, they are incredibly respected in the clinical world, in the uh, Christian world. They are read and revered as well. Uh, through their research, they've identified four destructive ways of dealing with conflict, and they kind of humorously call these the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, like right out of Revelation. And so let me quickly share these with you before we get to some principles for how to manage conflict. The first category they give, and these are in increasing tense intensity as we go, is what they call simply criticism. Now, the Gottmans say to couples, look, you are going to have complaints in your marriage. Just learn to live with that. Nothing wrong with a complaint. But they say there's a huge difference, a world of difference between a complaint and a criticism. A complaint might be, I wish we went out more than we do. Whereas a criticism might sound like this, you never take me anywhere. Do you see the difference? A criticism is like a global attack on a person's character or personality. Whereas a complaint is a very specific area where you're displeased or you'd simply like to see some change. So the first area, criticism. The second one they call defensiveness. Now defensiveness is essentially an attempt to shift blame. We use uh, self-justification and excuses and rationalizations. And the bottom line is to say, look, it's not really my problem, it's your problem. I'm not really the cause of this, you're the cause of this. And so there's this defensiveness, the Gottmans say they've seen in their research. The third apocalypse, horsemen of the apocalypse, they call contempt. Now here again, we're getting more intense in the destructive ways of dealing with conflict. 
in this category, there's a good deal of searing sarcasm, hostility, mocking, name-calling, shaming going on. Contempt takes conflict to a much higher level. And again, it's aimed not just at the issue, but at the person. It's meant to demean and dishonor the person. They give an example of imagine how dishonoring and demeaning it is when you're trying to be genuine with your spouse and he or she just kind of rolls their eyes in disgust when you're trying to be vulnerable. It is a, an act, really, of contempt, no matter how much it's disguised. And then the fourth level is what they call stonewalling. The impact and negativity from the first three horsemen has caused such a deep, callous insensitivity that the person just doesn't want to hurt anymore. The person in this situation just feels exhausted from all the personal injuries they've endured, from all the ongoing conflict that just never gets resolved. And so they choose, rather than to keep on trying, they choose to disengage. You turn away. You resign emotionally from the relationship. And so that's where they get the name stonewalling. Because from that point on, once a person has given up and just kind of turned away, it's just like talking to a stone wall to try to get through to them. So it's a sort of act of stonewalling. Now, in their over 80 years of combined experience and clinical research, the Gottmans say something that to me is, is incredibly profound. They said that as we study happy marriages, we find two things to always be present at the foundation of that marriage. Two surprisingly simple behaviors. Can you guess what they are? Here they are. The Gottmans, after working with thousands of couples, have found that the happiest couples in the world, the healthiest marriages, are the ones where they treat each other like good friends and they handle their conflicts in gentle, positive ways. Wow. So how can we be like that? No matter where you scored yourself on that continuum, how can we become like that, more like that? How can we put that into action? Because I'm absolutely convinced that conflict is normal, I'm convinced that conflict can be nightmarish, and I'm also convinced that conflict, hear me now, is necessary, I really mean that word, if, if we're going to grow deeper in our maturity and in our relational intimacy. So let's dive in together with that as a foundation. I want to share with you just a few principles straight out of God's word about how I believe that we can grow through conflict rather than be ruined by it. Here we go. The first one is incredibly simple. Commit yourself to grow closer to Jesus. Now, I'm afraid that that may sound so simple to some people that it may even create contempt in their minds and hearts. But here's what I mean by that. If you show me two people in a relationship that are honestly, authentically, both committed and trying with all their heart to grow closer to Jesus Christ, 
I'll show you a marriage that's probably going to make it. The pastor who did the premarital counseling for Debbie and me some uh, 30 or so years ago shared with us, the first time I ever saw this illustration, he shared with us the illustration of a simple triangle. And since then, I've heard it over and over again. I've read about it in books. I've actually had pastor friends tell me that they use this simple illustration at every wedding where they officiate and have a little wedding homily. They use this illustration. So here's how it goes. Think of a perfect isosceles triangle where each side of the triangle is exactly the same length, okay? So at the top of the triangle, you've got Jesus. You've got the Lord there. Christ is there at the top. And imagine at the bottom two parts of that triangle, you've got a husband and a wife. So Jesus the Lord is up here, and a husband and wife are down here. Now watch this. It's so simple. Don't let it create contempt. As they grow closer to Christ, what is actually happening here? As a husband and wife grow closer to Christ, they're actually growing closer to one another. Now, in all the preparation, and all the research, and all the books I've read, and all the, read for this, and all the articles for this series... I see over and over again these lists that the experts give for what tears marriages apart. Let me share a few of them with you. Marriage experts list things like overcommitment and physical exhaustion as some of the top marriage killers today. Money management is a huge one, fighting and bickering over that. Excessive credit, conflict over how money will be spent. Good old-fashioned selfishness is listed. Or how about this one? The question of who's in charge here? Who matters the most? Who's calling the shots? Unrealistic expectations always makes the list. And then there are things like alcohol abuse or substance abuse of one kind or another. Addiction to pornography. And just a basic inability to demonstrate love. Now think about this for a moment. When both partners are really growing in a healthy Christian life... Not only those issues, but many, many others are going to be dealt with on a regular basis. And I'll just tell you my experience. Now, again, I cannot universalize this because I, I've seen just a tiny little slice of the marriages in the world. But here's been my experience. I have never, as a pastor in all these years, I have never personally seen a marriage fall completely apart. Oh, I've seen struggles. I've seen conflicts, I've seen some difficulties that needed to be worked through, but I personally have never seen a marriage completely fall apart when both spouses, get that, both spouses were actively growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ and committed to it. I've never seen it happen. There's something about it when we're really growing. The Holy Spirit rubs off a lot of the rough edges in our lives and we actually become easier to live with, thank God, hallelujah. It's amazing how he makes us sweeter, more winsome, a more pleasant person to be around and a more joyful person to be around because that's what God does in our lives. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which being, is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. All those bad habits you used to have, all those bad ways of thinking, all those destructive behaviors and ways of dealing with conflict, that should be in the past now. And what are you called to? To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, this whole new creation, this whole new creature that Jesus has called you to be, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So honestly, folks, in so many ways, we could just kind of stop it right there, and that would solve so many issues if we just had two people who were genuinely, authentically committed to growing and being all that God designed them to be in Christ. But there's more. The second principle I would share with you is this. When it is wise and healthy to avoid conflict, I would urge you by all means to do so. And you know what? A lot of conflict can be avoided. It can be precluded. And contrary to what some people say, that is not a bad thing. Now, we're going to get to dealing with conflict a little bit later, but go with me here. We should be known as peacemakers, amen, as Christians. That's what Jesus called us to be. He said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. And the best way to handle a lot of disagreements, a lot of feelings of being disrespected or maybe slighted in some way, is not to stand up for your rights and start demanding things, it's just to honestly Kind of swallow your pride, hold your tongue, absorb the hurt. Because you don't know the person's motivation. Perhaps your spouse made a cutting remark. It, maybe they didn't intend it, but it, it hurt you. Or maybe he or she spoke kind of bluntly to the kids, and it was just kind of out of place. It was overbearing. Do you just jump in their face immediately and confront them? Or... Do you let it ride a little bit? You say, you know what? I, I, I've, got, I've got problems too. It may need to be confronted, but you may need to give that a little time. Proverbs 19.11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory, catch this now, to overlook an offense. Now hear me today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are probably going to be overlooking a lot of little offenses. I do it constantly. People say things that are, can I just be honest, stupid. Just stupid things. There's so many stupid things that are said by people just all over the place. I mean, it just either doesn't make any sense, really, or it's just downright offensive but am I going to just call everybody to task for silly things they say? No. I don't want to be known as that. In fact, if you're that kind of person, nobody wants to be around you. It's like walking on eggshells, man. Don't be quite that sensitive, okay? Just let some things go. Proverbs 23, it's to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So basically, here's the point. Don't miss the point. We should just be people who are easy to be around, kind of fun-loving, easygoing, peacemaking kind of people in general. I hope you're catching that. Gary Thomas talks about how infuriated he can become 
when he goes to the freezer in his refrigerator and pulls out an empty ice tray where somebody didn't fill up the little ice cube things with water so we would have ice cubes. He said, I grew up in a family where that was a cardinal rule. You always, immediately, if you used a couple of ice cubes, you immediately filled those slots up so that always there would be a full ice cube tray there. He said, I got married then, and I realized my wife didn't have that rule in her family. And he said, many times I'll go and there'll be one little ice cube in there. And he said, it just, it just infuriated me. How can she be so irresponsible as not to fill up the ice cube tray? And so he confronted her. He said, how much do you love me? And she said, I love you more than the world. He said, honey, I don't need you to love me that much. What I need is for you to love me for seven seconds. She said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, I timed it. I timed it. It takes exactly seven seconds for you to fill up at the water fountain, this ice cube tray, and put it right here in the freeze. She said, oh, are we back to that again, Gary? And then Gary Thomas writes, it finally dawned on me that if it takes Lisa just seven seconds to fill an ice cube tray, that's all it takes me as well. Was I really so selfish that I was willing to let seven seconds worth of inconvenience become a serious issue in my marriage? Was my capacity to show love really that limited? And so get the spirit of this. We need to be peacemaking kind of people. Not always getting bent out of shape over things that are relatively minor. Now, you can preclude a lot of conflict in your marriage, in your relationships, just by being aware. Let me tell you how Debbie and I do this. We never have a major discussion about an area of conflict if we're either exhausted or hungry. Don't try to talk to me when I'm hungry about a conflict. It's just not going to work. It's not going to go well. And with her, it's usually exhaustion. And so we just learn not to go there. When we're feeling good, when we're rested up, when our stomachs are full, then we can have more meaningful talks. We don't. Also, we, we've learned, by the way, to assume the best. Oh, this is huge. I want to be around people who assume the best. About me as a leader, about me as a person, about me as a husband, about me as a, a, a friend. I want to be around people who assume the best. Now, I've learned in life, most people don't do that. Have you learned that? It really ticks me off, but again, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm just going to be a peacemaker, but it really ticks me off that most, because uh, we're being honest, we're just friends here, right, that most people don't assume the best. In fact, many people assume the worst. They think you've got some evil agenda, and when anything happens that they don't fully understand, they immediately assume, oh, it's awful, it's bad, burns me up. Does that happen in your marriage? Debbie and I have learned through the years Assume the best. If there's something you don't understand, just assume that I meant good in that because usually the person does. Assume the best motives. Don't go revisit old wounds and start digging up bones that have been buried long ago. Create a realistic budget that you both agree to. 
and revisit it and check it regularly to make sure how you're doing with that. Be as clear as possible about expectation on chores around the home and who's going to be doing what and so on. So there's no fuzzy expectations there. And the holidays, oh boy, the holidays. They're the most explosive, conflict-laden time of year. So Debbie and I have learned to plan ahead. Exactly where are we going to be? Okay, what are we going to do? Where are we going to eat? What's the food situation going to be? Okay, what are our expectations for this holiday? We literally talk about that stuff in advance because it can be a time of tremendous conflict. Third, when it is appropriate to confront problems, do so. Scripture teaches that there are many offenses and personal disappointments that don't need a major confrontation, but some do. Matthew 5 reads, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Sometimes we need to confront. Solomon said there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And it's not always the right thing to be silent and just let things slide. An older pastor in ministry once said, and I've never forgotten this statement. He said, when you have conflict in the church, you need to figure something out. When there's conflict in the church or among a group, you need to know if you've got measles or if you've got cancer. That's what you need to figure out. Because if it's measles, just wait a while and it'll go away. But if it's cancer, you've got to confront it and deal with it. Now, many things that annoy us like crazy in marriage are just measles. And so again, we just need to have a peacemaking mentality, just a positive attitude, assuming the best, and just kind of overlooking offenses and getting along. But there comes a time when things are affecting you so much they need to be confronted. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a wife years ago at Grace. She and her husband had been married for just over 10 years, as I recall, and she talked about what a slob he is. And wow, as she described it, he was pretty messy, I guess. He just tracked dirt in the house, and he would cook occasionally, but didn't clean anything up, and just left dishes, dirty stuff everywhere. Uh, he was just a pig in the, just in the bathroom, just horribly messy, never cleaned anything up. And she was a neat freak, and she acknowledged that. And I said, well, what does your husband say when you confront him on these things? She said, oh, I've never confronted him. I said, what? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Am I hearing you right? You've been married for over 10 years and you've never had a conversation, conversation about something that is bothering you so deeply that you are literally ready for medication about this. It is time to have a talk, my friend. And so she did and it actually went okay. There's a time when we need to confront, and particularly if it is a sin issue, it must be confronted. 
Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If there are behaviors going on with your spouse that are sin issues, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to not let those slide. You say, well, yeah, I'm just trying to overlook the offense. No, that's a different category. This is not just a little offense we're talking about overlooking. Yeah, that would be to your glory, just like Proverbs says. This is a sin issue. It's not just a personality quirk. It's not just, oh, they're a little bit brusque at times. It's not just they lack emotional intelligence. No, you, you can overlook that stuff. If your spouse is hanging out with someone of the opposite sex after work hours, spending time at the bar, that's got to be confronted. If your spouse is working 80 hours a week and leaving everything on you, and ignoring the marriage relationship, that has to be confronted. That is sinful behavior as far as I'm concerned. If you've got lying going on, if there's a breach of your marriage covenant, you do not remain silent about that. It needs to be confronted in love. Now, you've got to watch your heart. You've got to keep a humble servant attitude, realizing There but for the grace of God go I, but it must be confronted and dealt with. You say, well, pastor, I'm not strong enough for that. Well, I hear you. Some people really do lack, for whatever reasons, upbringing, personality, basic experiences in life. They lack the the courage or the constitution to just be able to do that easily. And here's where you may need to involve other mature Christian friends or leaders in the church to intervene with you on your behalf. But by all means, there are behaviors that must be confronted. And to go on and act like a marriage is okay when there is gross, sinful behavior going on is not a healthy marriage. That is just polite pretending is all that is. You're just pretending. I'm saying this with all the kindness I can. You're just pretending that your marriage is something that it's not. Well, I think that some of the things I've described here are extremes, but there is a time to confront irresponsible and sinful behavior. And that time may be here for you and your relationship. And you're going to need God's grace and courage from him to do it. Well, fourth, deal with conflict in a biblical manner. Now, those of you who've been trekking with us know that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about healthy communication in marriage. And in that sermon, we got so much amazing positive feedback about it. In fact, uh, with the exception of last week's sermon, probably more positive feedback than any of the, uh, than, than the first sermon. Uh, We looked at Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. What a great passage. And I called it, you may recall, I called it a mini manual on communication. Can I tell you what else Ephesians 4 is? It's a mini manual on conflict management as well. So in the brief minutes we have left, I quickly want to walk you through it once again and look at and review some principles that it gives us for managing conflict in a healthy way. God's word, by the way, is amazing, folks. 
And if you're kind of new to it, I want you to know that it is amazing in the insight God gives us because he is the creator and he knows how best his creation can function. Principle number one, speak truthfully but in a kind way. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for all members of one body. Speak truth, but do it in a kind way, okay? The kindest way you possibly can, but truth has to be spoken. Healthy marriages, healthy relationships of any kind cannot be built on anything less than utter truthfulness. By the way, that's what is so devastating many times about infidelity in a marriage. I've had spouses look at me and say, it's not just the sexual activity that was involved, it's the fact that he's been lying to me for all these years. And it's just devastating because they realize they've been deceived. And the first step back is to get back to truth-telling again. There's got to be honesty in a relationship. Conflict management is built on that. Second, don't let your anger lead you to sin. Verse 27, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, that little phrase, don't let the sun go down, is an idiomatic phrase that means be prompt in the way you deal with it, don't delay. And so Debbie and I, we were newly married, literally, I kid you not, in our first year of marriage, we had <laughs> many nights where we were up two, three, four o'clock in the morning trying to obey this principle, trying to work through conflicts in our relationship. And often we'd kind of resolve it and get a few hours of sleep and get up and go to work and all that. But we then learn, you know what, it is okay. We're not ignoring it. It is okay to say, you know what, the best thing we can do is get some sleep right now. Let's schedule, schedule a time tomorrow. We're not ignoring this. We're not putting it aside. We're going to schedule time tomorrow to come back to this. And I think that honors the principle expressed here. Third, speak only what will build up and benefit. Now, again, we said that two weeks ago. But it's worth saying again, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. For some of us, if we honestly took this seriously, we'd have to learn a whole new way of communicating. Because we would find, if we were being honest, that we have fallen into such patterns of sarcasm and derision and demeaning language. We would just have to totally relearn how to talk, basically. But the effort would be worth it. Proverbs 15 says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. And there's one final principle I'll mention. And that is, be gracious and forgiving. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
Now, we're going to spend the whole message next week talking about that. So this is kind of a good segue into next week. We're going to wrap up this marriage series by spending a whole message talking about the importance of forgiveness, what it means and what it doesn't mean, because there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. Trust me, there's a ton of misunderstanding. But I want to tell you, no matter how long you've been married, no matter how long you've been in that significant relationship you're in, you go long enough and your mate is going to wound you. I hope it's not real serious, but it may be. But in some way, they are going to wound you and let you down. They may be unfaithful. They may neglect you or be insensitive to you, and you will be wounded. And trust me on this, if we don't learn what forgiveness is and how to really practice it in a relationship, I don't know any way you can make it through that. Because the hurt, the wounds are just too real. They're they're just too deep. One of the men I've respected most in my lifetime, he passed away some years ago, was a man named Cliff Barrows. Some of you uh, my age or older may remember him as the song leader, the worship leader for Billy Graham for all those years. I had the privilege of being around him a lot in his home, in his studio, uh, on the road at various cities and crusades, in the green room before speaking events, schools of evangelism. He is a prince of a man. I mean, an absolute prince of a man. And I heard him share this. He had a magnificent marriage, by the way. His wife, uh, I think they were married 51 years when she passed away. And then he remarried sometime later and had another marvelous marriage with the wife he, he married. But he shared this many, many times. He said, there are 12 words that hold a marriage together. And I want to end today with these 12 words because I believe they are magnificent. 12 words. And believe me, his marriages were spectacular. and they, they really reflected this. Here are the 12 words. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. And if those words are spoken not in manipulation, but in genuineness, that is indeed one of the keys to holding a marriage together, to dealing with conflict, to making it through over the long haul. Yes, conflict is normal. Yes, it can be nightmarish, but I'm convinced it's necessary if we're going to press through to maturity and become all God designed us to be. Father, thank you for your amazing word. It never ceases to amaze how practical, how helpful, how uplifting, how challenging. It just puts the truth right where we need it to be. And so, Lord, I ask by the Spirit you would do that today. And I pray that marriages represented inside grace, all of those outside of grace who will be touched by this message, I pray, O Lord, that these marriages would strengthen and grow in intimacy and maturity. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.